You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have a pretty prolific and interesting guest, Dr. Tom O'Brien. He's an internationally recognized, admired, and compassionate speaker. He focuses on food sensitivities, environmental toxins, and uh, the development of autoimmune diseases, which affects countless people. It's pretty serious. And uh, Dr. Tom's goal appears is to to have his audiences discover, gain a clear understanding of how they got their condition, and what they can do to heal themselves, if at all possible. Um, in November 2016, he released a docu-series called Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you about. And it's a big investigation into why our immune system, which is supposed to protect us, uh, can begin attacking our own tissue. And uh, it looks like over 500,000 people worldwide have watched the docu-series, which is fantastic based on his promotion. Uh, Dr. O'Brien's considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and metabolic disorders, and he talks about the underlying mechanisms that trigger the development of chronic disease and what the keys to health are. And I trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world to understand uh, the impact of things like wheat and how autoimmune conditions develop. So, Dr. Tom, thanks for coming. Thank you, Richard. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, and if you wouldn't mind... Um, I've spoken to hundreds of health professionals, and they all have their own health journey. Would you mind sharing what yours has been like and why you care about these uh, subjects? Uh, Sure. Uh, When my ex and I wanted to uh, start a family, uh, we we had difficulties. Uh, We we couldn't get pregnant. At the time, I was an intern, and I called the seven most famous holistic-minded doctors I had heard of at that uh, up to that time. That was 1979. And I spoke to seven different docs and asked, what do you do for infertility? And they all told me what they do. And I put a program together. We were pregnant in six weeks. And yeah. my neighbors in married housing, we lived on campus, they had been through artificial insemination and nothing had worked for them. And they asked if I'd work with them. And I said, well, you know, I'm don't really know what I'm doing, but this isn't going to harm you in any way. Sure. She was pregnant in three months. So before I came out into practice, we were hot to trot to help everybody, uh, every couple get pregnant. Uh, We were very happy that uh, my wife was pregnant and growing and healthy and telling our friends about it. And so they'd tell their sister in Wisconsin who would drive down to Chicago, I was in school in Chicago, Come to, and I would treat them out of my dorm rooms. You know, there's, uh, oh, wow. uh, and, you know, there's not much in medicine that's all or every. But this was an every. Every person that came to me, and this, this has been consistent over the years, every person that has a hormone-related problem, whether it's infertility or recurrent miscarriages or... Uh, uh, low sperm count or uh, uh, polycystic ovaries or ovarian cysts or um, lack of sexual function. Every person that we see always has as part of the contributing factors 
that created the environment that eventually produced the problems they've got, they all were eating foods that they didn't know were causing inflammation in their body. They didn't know that the foods they were eating were a contributor and sometimes the trigger to the dysfunction that they were suffering from. Every person, every single person. And so when people would learn what the foods were that worked for them and what the foods were that did not work for them and really focus on foods that work, they got better. And people got pregnant, uh, people that had recurrent miscarriages, had healthy pregnancies and deliveries. Uh, uh, across the board, people get better. And so you that led said me that, to the uh, You should have said you were so good you even got three men pregnant. <laughs> well, you know, right. we, we got to the point to where when a woman would call to make an appointment and my staff would say, what's the purpose? And they'd say, infertility. Say, well, your husband needs to come with you. And they would say, oh, my husband's too busy. You know, he's a chief financial officer for some big corporation. I said, well, that's fine. Then when he's available, let us know and we'll, we will make an appointment for you. Dr. O'Brien refuses to see you unless your husband comes. And uh, so I developed that policy. And so eventually, you know, these heavy hitter guys would come in and frustrated and, you know, they're on their phones or whatever, you know, busy. And uh, they don't have time to be in a doctor's office for their wife. Right. But the reason we did that is that when a couple mates and a guy ejaculates, millions of sperm are swimming up the canal. Millions. Why is it that only one or two at the most can penetrate an egg? How does that happen? When the sperm hits the egg, the egg has a mucus layer around it. It's like a force field, so nothing can get in. When the sperm hits the egg, it secretes an enzyme. That enzyme dissolves just a little bit of that mucus layer around the egg, and then it wiggles right in. And as soon as it gets in, it activates genes that shut down that mucus layer so no other sperm can get in. It's very cool, you know, when you see movies of this. Uh, you know, our technology is so good that, you know, scientists can produce movies of this. It's very cool to see it. That enzyme in the head of the sperm that penetrates the egg and allows that sperm to impregnate the egg is completely zinc dependent. So I, when men come in, when anybody comes in, we have a very simple test for zinc levels. You can test it right in the office mm. and it's very accurate. Comes from, comes from the British Medical Journal. And we often find that guys probably, probably four out of seven, five out of eight men have a zinc insufficiency or a zinc deficiency. So they're firing duds. And that has been the contributing factor in a couple being unable to get pregnant a few times over the years. It, you know, it, it may have been, uh, it was the primary factor because when a guy has a zinc deficiency, we recommend tests for the woman, uh, uh, but we give the guy zinc immediately, start taking this today. And by the time the test results come back in a few weeks, uh, and the woman comes back to hear her test results. It's happened more than once. When the woman comes in, she's pregnant, and she's really happy. She's pregnant Great. now. And so uh, so sometimes it's, it's the guys that are contributing to the infertility, and it's a simple zinc insufficiency. So that got me into this a, whole world. Uh, well, quick, quick question to go, to go back. You mentioned very early on that, you know, you – you and your wife, you couldn't get pregnant and went to seven different holistic doctors. Just the act of doing that is rare for a lot of people. A lot of people seem to just stick with traditional practitioners, just like you said, your cohorts did. So why did you go to those kind of doctors and not just go the traditional route, especially because you were an intern yourself? Right, right. Uh, uh, thanks for the question. So we did not go to seven doctors. I called them and they took my call and I said, uh, uh, what do you do for infertility? And they'd say, well, do you know what a category one is? I'd say, no, learn. Okay. And I'd write it down. And they all told me what they would do. And I put the program together and that's how we got pregnant. But what motivated me to go that route to begin with, as opposed to going to fertility clinics or fertility centers, and that's the entire world of functional medicine. And that's a really, really important concept for people to understand, and it gives them direction 
in how to address their own health concerns, whatever they are. And I call it life jacket medicine, that when you go to a doctor and you get a uh, diagnosis of diabetes or obesity or recurrent miscarriages or uh, brain dysfunction or rheumatoid arthritis or MS, I mean, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It's like you've fallen over a waterfall and you've crashed into the pond below. You swim up to the surface and you thank God I'm alive, right? And you're trying to stay afloat in the pond of diabetes, the pond of infertility, whatever the pond is that you're in, you're trying to stay afloat. But the water is really turbulent because the waterfall keeps falling into the pond. You're still living the lifestyle that caused the problem that you've got. You're in that pond. And so everybody wants a life jacket to feel better. And it's really important. If you've got high blood pressure, you take the medication. Don't be silly about this. Or, you know, if you have hormone imbalances, you take the hormones. Don't be silly if you have a hormone deficiency. But you don't stay in the pond. Once you're stable and you can float, once you feel a little bit better and you're functional, swim over to the side of the pond, get out of the water, walk up the hill and walk back up the river to find out what fell in the river that carried me downstream and I fell over the waterfall into the pond of diabetes or to multiple sclerosis, or to rheumatoid, or whatever the pond is that you're in. You don't wear the life jacket of traditional medicine for the rest of your life. I mean, but almost everybody does. But when it's you want analogy, to yeah. have high... Good analogy. Yeah, yeah. You've got to go back upstream. You know, in, in medical literature, it's called going upstream. That's the world of functional medicine. So don't be silly if you need the meds. If you've got depression, take the meds, of course. But look and see, why do you have depression? And the research papers started coming out in the early 1980s that showed every single case of depression that they tested had high levels of inflammatory cytokines, meaning that the immune system was creating a bunch of inflammation in your brain, which was contributing to the depression. So the question is, why is your immune system activated? And you don't suppress the immune system. Your immune system, Mrs. Patient, your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. There's an army, a navy, an air force, a marines, a coast guard, IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM, all these different branches of the armed forces. But they're there to protect you. So when they get activated, when you've got inflammation in your body and Every study was showing that depression has high inflammation. Every single depressive person has high inflammation. The question is, why is your immune system trying to protect you? And when you, start, when you go upstream to find out what fell in the river and you fell into the pond of depression, you learn that, oh, really? Wheat is a problem for me? Oh, really? Dairy is a problem for me? Oh, really? I've got mold in my house and that's causing my depression? And you start looking for where is the gasoline being thrown? Where's the gasoline coming from that's being thrown on the fire, creating the inflammation that's manifesting in your body as depression or as joint pain or as losing your hair? It doesn't matter what pond you've fallen into. You go upstream. But of course, always take the meds if you need the meds. So you don't be silly about this. So if you've got moderate well, severe a, depression, you take the meds. There's a couple of issues that I've go ahead. You know, I've experienced and heard many people experience. So one is that a lot of people don't think that way for some reason. They just will trust traditional medicine and they go to traditional doctors. And I've heard from, I'm sure you've heard from many more people from me. You know, the doctors would tell them, "You're fine." Uh, you know, oh, this this level I have is low. It's within range, though, so you're fine. Or the symptoms you're feeling right. are just in your head. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, just take this medicine or go right. to a psychiatrist. Or, so we'll, right. it makes it very hard to get back up that that the cliff and back to the top of the river. So what what do people right. do when That's they're exactly faced with right. the medical community that that stops them or tries to stop? Them? Really good question. Really good question. Unfortunately, that is the dominant dynamic that most people um, experience is that they're traditional healthcare practitioners, they're just not trained in going upstream. What they're trained in is to give you a life jacket 
so that you survive and you don't drown in the pond of diabetes or in the pond of depression. And we need that approach to healthcare. Thank God we've got it. The problem is that they've always re represented themselves as healthcare practitioners. And in reality, they are crisis care practitioners. They deal with the crisis. And usually they deal with it pretty darn well. And thank God we've got them. But every consumer of healthcare needs to understand the difference between crisis care medicine and healthcare medicine. And unfortunately, they're different. And every single doctor that I've ever met, every single one, went into their education believing they were going into healthcare education. But it turned out every single one of them received crisis care education. And they got brainwashed and guided to think a particular way. I mean, we've heard the horror stories of uh, residents that are on shift for 36 hours without a break, you know, and how in the heck can you um, uh, have be clear-headed when, you know, when that kind of thing occurs? But that's very common in the industry of medical education. And people get, get locked in to, and trained to think a particular way as healthcare practitioners. And every one of the consumers, everyone that's listening to this, needs to wrestle with this concept and then get exposed to a, more information about the difference between crisis care and health care. And when you do that, you start to realize the people you've been seeing, they're crisis care people. Your pediatrician is a crisis care pediatrician, which is great. You know, we really, listen, my granddaughter was born 10 weeks premature and she died twice from brain bleeds in the hospital. Thank God we've got the technology that we've got. Thank God. Now she's three years old and she's the top of her class, you know, and, and engaged and, and asking questions and fully functional, right? Thank God we've got that crisis care technology that's the best in the world. But, you know, you, you just look at the statistics. The World Health Organization tells us that every single year, the United States is ranked number one or number two in the world in healthcare technology every single year. And every single year, we are ranked in the bottom five of 53 industrialized countries for healthcare results. We're ranked number one or two in technology and at the bottom five, often at the bottom, for healthcare results of, of industrialized countries. Now, what's wrong with this picture? And the industry is so set up to maintain the way they are. I mean, it's a business. You know, uh, uh, we don't like talking about healthcare as a business, but crisis care is a business. And uh, there, there are many, many stories that we could go into about that. But for now, we just want to understand differentiating healthcare from crisis care. And one of the ways the readers can do that, there are many ways, but one of the ways that I suggest is, you know, I put out two books in the last couple of years. One's called The Autoimmune Fix. It won the National Book Award. I mean, it's really a great book about the mechanisms and why your immune system gets activated, and it'll manifest where, wherever your genetic vulnerability is, your heart, your brain, your liver, your kidneys, your muscles, it doesn't matter. The mechanism is very similar in all of them. And the second one, You Can Fix Your Brain, came out about 10 months ago, number one in seven categories on Amazon for brain function. Uh, uh, and you read these books and it gives you a different way of thinking of how to protect yourself and your family and learn more about health care as opposed to crisis care. And if I may, I'll give you one example because it's in the front of my mind right Definitely. now. And there are so yeah. many like this. But here's one. In Chicago, they took 346 pregnant women in the eighth month of pregnancy they did urine tests on all of them, and they measured phthalates in, in, the, in the urine. Now, phthalates are chemicals that mold plastic, and there are hundreds and hundreds of phthalates that we're all exposed to. They measured five. One of them is called bisphenol A or BPA, and many people have heard of BPA because it's in water bottles and lids at coffee cups and you know, things like that. So they, they measured five phthalates. They categorized the phthalate levels into quartiles, the lowest quartile, 
you know, the moms that had the lowest quartile or the pregnant women in the next quartile and the third quartile and the highest quartile. They followed the offspring of these pregnancies for seven years. When the children turned seven, they did Wexler IQ test. That's the formal IQ test on every child. And there's not much in medicine that's all or every, but this wasn't every. This, that's what was so shocking. Every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates in urine in pregnancy compared to the children whose mothers were in the lowest quartile of phthalates in urine in pregnancy, every child in the highest quartile, their IQs were seven points lower, 6.7 to 7.4 points lower than the children whose mothers were in the lowest quartile. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody, you know, seven points lower. Okay, what does that mean? One point difference in an IQ is noticeable. Seven points difference is a difference between a child working really hard, getting straight A's, and a child working really hard, getting straight C's. They don't have the brain power because their brains never develop properly because there are many studies that show phthalates inhibit or stop neurogenesis, brain development, and nerve development. So the higher the phthalates, the poorer the brain develops. So these kids never have a chance to score at the top of the class because their brain never developed properly because mom had high phthalate levels. And where do you get phthalates? Well, you know, you start to go upstream, you get out of the water, you walk up the hill, you walk back up the river, and you learn where are sources of phthalates. And they're in my books, but uh, example is nail polish. You put nail polish on, and within three to five minutes, their phthalate levels go up in your bloodstream. Now, there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach into the blood from... Yeah, and there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach into the blood from nail polish is toxic to humans. And that's how the industry gets away with this crap. And it's true. There is no evidence that that amount of phthalate leakage into the bloodstream is toxic. There's no evidence. But this stuff accumulates in the body. Well, hold on one second. One second. So... Let's, let's take a woman who for 25 years has been putting nail polish on her nails. And this stuff accumulates in the body. That's why they categorize them into quartiles. It's the ones that had the highest levels. So what do you do with that information? You, you Google organic nail polish, phthalate-free nail polish. And then you go try a couple of different types. You see one that you like and you stop using the toxic stuff. But people just need to be educated on this kind of thing. That's functional medicine, is going upstream. Yeah, I used to think that, um, I remember Suzanne Summers did a book years ago called like Toxic or something. And I read it and I, I thought this lady is like way overboard. She was talking about, you know, food and makeup and uh, EMF exposure. And, you know, I thought it was over the top. But my perspective changed, you know, because of my own health issues and what I've seen. But I've. I've noticed, you know, I thought about it. I talked to my wife the other day about it. I said, you know, like women will wear makeup. Uh, like, you, you know, you included nail polish. I didn't even know about that. But they'll wear makeup. They'll, they'll be eating some of the lipstick inadvertently. They'll, people will put on deodorant and that'll go into their armpits. You know, they'll spray perfumes on themselves. They'll eat foods with pesticides and hormones and antibiotics. They'll breathe air with God knows what in it. it so the whole body is under attack by chemicals from everywhere. It's a wonder that people aren't half dead most of the time and most of our population is a, is a mess, or maybe they are, but I just, I all of a sudden realized that that's what's going on, is we're all under attack by things from every angle, it seems. Oh, Richard, that's a really good observation on your part, and I'll give you, you said, you know, it's almost like people should be half dead all the time. Well, here's the statistic that just came out recently. One elder in three dies with Alzheimer's or dementia. One in three. That's the current statistic. Now, why is that? It's because the brain is the yellow canary in the coal mine. And as you may know, with a yellow canary, the miners would keep looking over at the cage when they're working all day down in the coal mines. And if that canary went down, they got out of there immediately because the canary was more sensitive to the carbon monoxide that might leak out in a coal mine. The brain shows symptoms before anywhere else in the body does. 
but we don't pay attention to the, oh, I'm getting older. I don't remember the way I used to. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm 36. Ha uh-huh. No, that's not supposed to happen. That means that your brain's inflamed and your brain is not functioning properly. But we accept this as getting older. And you're absolutely right. Suzanne Summers was an explorer. You know, she was someone that was way ahead of her time talking about this stuff. Uh, we've been talking about it much longer than Suzanne, you know, so we've, we've been out there and been called nutcases and there's no science. Of course, there's science. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of articles on this now. And if you read my books, you know, each book has at least 300 references and I just quote the authors. And wow. so it, this is really, this really is an education program for people to begin to change the paradigm in how you look at protecting you and your family so that you can be vibrantly healthy. But that's not going to happen unless you understand how to protect yourself because this world is more toxic than we ever could have dreamt possible. Now, you're a future tech emphasis guy, and here's something to think about for you and your audience because you guys think outside the box. Mrs. Patient, your body is exactly the same as your ancestors three, 4,000 years ago. The kidneys work the same, the lungs work the same, the brain works the same, we've developed more creature comforts, but the mechanisms are the same in how we function. Your ancestors, for our ancestors, had to protect them from bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. That was it. There was nothing else that the immune system had to fight against to protect humans. Bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. There is no way. So what happens for your body when you get exposed to phthalates or red dye number three or bisphenol A or perchloroethylene or you smell gas when you pump gas, benzene? How does your body respond? What does your immune system do when this foreign invader is getting in? It treats it like a bug, parasite, virus, mold, fungus, or bacteria. That's all it can do. There is no programming to to address any of this stuff. Protecting your body, there's no other way your body can respond except to create inflammation, to kill the bug, parasite, virus, mold, fungus, or bacteria. That's all it can do. And when you realize that, you start to understand why the immune-related diseases are all of the degenerative diseases we have, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, losing the skin pigment and where the white spots on your skin called vitiligo, psoriasis. They're all inflammatory diseases from your immune system trying to protect you from something. And then depending on your genetics will show up as depression or as joint pains and arthritis. It just depends on your genetics as to how it shows up. But the mechanism underneath it all is exactly the same. So when you start addressing, when you get out of the pond and you walk up the river to figure out where is the inflammation coming from? How am I throwing gasoline on the fire? You start to feel better. Because you get that gasoline out of there, you reduce the inflammation, your hair starts growing back. The tumors start going away. Your joints start feeling better. Your skin looks better. You lose weight. You know, it it doesn't matter what the problem is, that we have to go back to looking at where is the inflammation coming from and address that. It sounds like our immune systems are, are just like those overworked you know, been awake for 36-hour interns constantly. So how could they do a good job? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. We should really appreciate what our immune systems are doing. But in um, acute crisis care medicine, what do they do? They recommend immune suppressants. You know, take, the, take, uh, take right. these medications to shut down your immune system. We don't want to do that in most cases. What we want now, you may need to do that to stay afloat in the pond of severe arthritis for a while, or in the pond of severe severe depression. You may want to do that for a while, but you have to look for where is the gasoline coming from? Is it gasoline or kerosene? 
Is it food sensitivities or air pollution? Every child in Mexico City that they check, every child, this started in the mid-2000s when they, when they developed the urine tests and the blood tests to do this, every child has evidence of early Alzheimer's. Every child, because they're breathing the air. And we know that 60 to 65% clinically of all Alzheimer's we see is called inhalation Alzheimer's. It's what you're breathing that's the gasoline on the fire. Do you want to know how bad your air is where you live? Go to the car wash. Go to a nice car wash where the guy's got a water bottle on his hip, you know, and he goes and squirts the water on your windshield and wipes it down and all that. Get a nice car wash done. Drive home. Park the car outside. Set your alarm for four hours. And then go outside and rub your hand across the windshield. That's what you're breathing all day, every day. You just can't see it and you can't smell it. But when you realize, wow, there's crud in the air, then you go online and look and see what's the composition of the particulate matter in the air in my town. And you start seeing the aluminum, the uh, diesel fuel particulate matter. And then when you start to read about what diesel fuel particulate matter, how it goes right through the lung causes what's called a breach of the blood-brain barrier. That's a geek term for leaky brain. And then you understand that leaky brain is the gateway for the inflammation in the brain that causes your brain dysfunction, and you've got depression or you've got anxiety. But then you realize, wow, air pollution is contributing to my depression. Wow. I'd heard something about the the air in my city, but I didn't know it was this bad. Here's the big problem, though, is this is all unseen at first. So when you're not feeling well, how do you fix this? You know, I've seen food, like, let's say, I don't know, a chicken dinner from one place and a chicken dinner from another place. And you look at them, they look exactly the same, but yet they may have radically different effects on you. And, you know, you can't see the air you're breathing. You can't see what's in the nail polish you're putting on. How do you figure this out and know without, I don't know, without thinking you're crazy yourself that something's affecting you or not? How do you, how do you go about fixing it? Right. Right. Really good question. Really good question. What's required of all of us to protect ourselves and our families? Listen, this statistic, one out of three elders dies with Alzheimer's, should scare the hell out of all of us. Excuse me. But it should scare the hell out of us. Statistics. That's like 50% for yeah. a lot of people. Exactly, exactly, the kind of thing. So so what do you do? You have to start dialing this down. And in my book, You Can Fix Your Brain, the subtitle of the book on the cover is just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. And it's not a cutesy title. It's the gateway to success, that everybody's too busy and too overwhelmed when you start learning about this stuff. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me, you know, and I've been at this for 40 years. But every Tuesday night after dinner or every Sunday morning after services, whenever it is, but every week you allocate one hour and you tell your family one hour. I'm going to take this hour. Don't bother me because I'm learning more about how to protect us. And w- when you read in my book, as an example, that the plastic storage containers in the kitchen leach phthalates into the food overnight. You put leftover chicken in a plastic storage container in the refrigerator, the next day, that chicken's got phthalates in it. When you learn that kind of stuff, you say, oh my God, what do I do about that? Well, here are three URLs on, uh, in the book. Go to this URL and look at glass storage containers. And you go up, they say, oh, those are not, oh, I really like those over there. And you order the glass storage containers of four round ones, three square ones, one for the pies, you know, whatever you want. Pay with a credit card, hit send. It took you an hour. You're done for the week. But now you will never poison your family again with this minor amount of poisons that accumulates in the body when you serve leftover food. Give the plastic storage containers to your husband to store nails in the garage. You know, they're good for that right? But it's these baby steps you take, Richard, every week, just one little baby step. And six months from now, you've got this. 
you've implemented a number of changes in your life and people are saying, wow, man, you look different. What are you doing? You say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm going upstream, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm just taking a little bit of time every week. You see, everybody wants it now. Everybody wants, what's the pill that's going to help me feel better? What's the food I can eat that I'm going to lose weight with? And it doesn't work that way. You know, we, we are so accustomed to instantaneous results that are short term, that when you take this patient approach to be patient with yourself one hour a week and apply one more principle, next week, your wife is going to go online and look for organic nail polish. And she's going to find three or four companies, or I reference two companies in the book. And you go to their website and you go and you say, oh, I'll, all right, I'll order some of that. And you try it. You see, if you don't like it, you go for another one. It may take you a month or two months, but you find a nail polish that is not putting poisons in your body, minor levels of poisons that accumulate over time. Oh, it's a minor amount. It doesn't affect people. That's true. But it accumulates to the level where it does affect people. And, you know, it might take you a month, two months, but you'll find a nail polish. And then for the rest of your life, you'll never poison yourself with that toxic nail polish again or that toxic, toxic lipstick that contains wheat. And, you, and if you have a wheat sensitivity or whatever it is, but every week you allocate one hour to this. That's all you do. And the results will be marvelous over time. Is there, I know it's different for everybody, but is there a Pareto? You know, what is the, what are the most important things you can do to help yourself? Or is it better to just do the easiest things you can do at first? Because psychologically, you're more likely to get them done. Yeah, depending on the individual, you know, some people want to do the deep dive or they're suffering right now and they really want to focus on it. And others will put their toe in the water. You know, so it depends on where where you are in your life on this concept, how much you embrace this concept. But over time, as you've noticed over time, uh, what Suzanne Summers talked about at the time, you thought she was a nutcase. But now, you know, oh, wait, wow, there's something to what she was saying. And I'm moving my life more in that direction right now. And when you realize that, and that's how it is for people. So I think the first thing that everyone should do uh, that that helps and it's a good base hit, is that many of us are dehydrated. We don't get enough just plain, clear, clean water. And it's a half ounce of water per pound body weight that we have perspective of your size. It's a half ounce per pound body weight. So if you weigh 150 pounds, that's 75 ounces of water. That's all, a little more than half a gallon. Oh, my God, I'll be peeing all day. That's the idea. That's right. We've got to flush out all this toxic crud that's accumulated in our bodies over the years. And a, a really good lifestyle habit that supports that, every, everybody when they wake up in the morning, usually the first thing they do is they go to the bathroom. First thing. After that, the very next thing before anything, don't open your phone, don't look at messages from last night. The very next thing you do is drink two big eight ounce glasses of water right away, right away. And what you'll notice is within a few days of doing that, you, you kind of look forward to drinking the water and your bowel movements are better than they've been in a long time. And mm. you say to your wife, you know, I just had the best bowel movement. I just feel great. You know, you share that with your spouse. It's kind of a silly topic. <laughs> but, but, but when you do that, your body's functioning better and you feel better. You're not as full of it anymore. You know, some people say, oh, he's full of whatever, you know. But he is. And so you drink two big glasses of water in the morning to start your day, and it really helps to get your digestive tract working. And you get rid of some of that toxic stuff that most of us have carrying around inside of us most of the time. Yeah, that's a good start. What, um, at what point, I mean, what, what if people bring this up with their primary care physician? I mean, what kind of responses have you seen? Is this something you should just do on your own? Should you seek out a functional medicine doctor and you know, not see your primary care. Like, what what about that realm? Yeah, uh, uh, what what happens for almost everyone is they go through this process, and it's it's the same for everybody. You know, because you're you're creating a paradigm shift. You're creating a, a shift in the way you think about health. And when you do that, it's a similar journey for everyone. And that is, you realize your primary doctor 
is there for crisis care. And many of them are coming back to, you know, I'm on the faculty Institute for Functional Medicine. And, you know, I'm in, uh, I was in Seattle last weekend teaching sold out groups. You know, these doctors come to us for five days because they want to learn how do I go upstream? They realize that this is the way to go. And, and so everybody's going to go through this journey. Uh, it's a very similar journey. Never just drop your primary care physician. They've been serving you. They know your history. They're doing their best to keep you going. But what you realize is that you don't take your car uh, to the tire um, uh, repair place to have them uh, work on the transmission. You know, that there are specialists that work in different areas. You don't go to a cardiologist if you have a skin problem, right? So there's another specialty, and that is the specialty of doctors who are trained in stream. They're called functional medicine doctors. And you, you can go to ifm.org. It stands for the Institute for Functional Medicine, ifm.org, and go to the Find a Practitioner and look for people that are certified in functional medicine. That's a three and a half year program to do that, to be certified. Uh, also, you know, read more about, read my books. You know, you just start with my books, uh, one of them or both of them. And my second, uh, there's audio for both. I did the audio for You Can Fix Your Brain. And uh, so read the books or listen to the books. And if this makes sense to you, my goal in writing these books, and it's why the Automobile Fix won the National Book Award, is that when you read the book, you say, this makes sense. I need to look into this more. And then you start allocating the one hour a week or more because your daughter's really sick right now and you don't have time to wait. But now you have a roadmap of how to start moving in the direction of going upstream to figure out where it has to go. For many people, it's air. And when you start looking into this, many people find they've got mold in their house. Mrs. Patient, when you're on vacation for a week or two, you come home, do you have to open the windows to air the house out? Oh, yeah. You got mold right, in yeah. your house. Have it checked. Have it checked. Because you're breathing that. Oh, it's not so bad. Really? One out of three dies with dementia. And the 60 to 65% of all Alzheimer's is inhalation. Alzheimer's It's what they're breathing. Do you think you might be have a small problem that's just killing off brain cells, killing off brain cells, killing off brain cells, allows you to keep functioning right now, but you're getting worse and worse and worse. And when you understand the dynamics of how degenerative diseases occur a little bit over time, you don't feel bad until you cross a threshold and you can't compensate anymore. And now you feel bad. Now you got symptoms. Now you fell over the waterfall into the pond of whatever the symptoms are. But all of this stuff builds up over time. So you want to be proactive to learn more of what to look for in your particular situation. It's very different for people that live in Dallas or Houston that have had so many floods or in Florida that have had so many floods compared to people that live in uh, Idaho. You know, it's very different what some of your environmental problems may be. But you just start with baby steps, a little bit at a time. I guess to go with your waterfall and river analogy, you know what 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 in our lives is "quote unquote" selling us down the river and pushing us towards the exactly. waterfall's edge. Right. So you're saying air is a big exactly. one. Any other uh, big ones that people can look at, and how do they address it again once they once they say, "All right, Doctor Tom, okay." For instance, the air in my home, maybe it's a problem. I, you know, when I'm on vacation, I actually feel better. When I'm home, I don't feel well. I don't sleep well. Like, how do they go about fixing it? Really good question. Uh, the first thing is you, you get an air filtration system. If you can afford it, you get one for your whole house. If you can't, you get one for the room. And what room do you put it in? Your bedroom, because that's where you spend six, seven, eight hours at one time. And then during the day, you roll it out into the family room. Uh, or for your kids, your child's got attention deficit or autism, put an air filtration system in their bedroom. Really important to do that. And all of those things of what are the baby steps I can take are all in the book. I mean, there are so many of them in the book. How do you look as to where to start? Well, there's a whole questionnaire that you can do that talks about where to start. You felt the questionnaire becomes obvious uh, what the likely um, uh, triggers are. 
And I've said this many, many times over the years, the most common source of gasoline on the fire, the most common source is what's on the end of your fork. That's the big one. So looking for food sensitivities is a big one. And the most common is wheat. And people eat wheat two, three, four times a day, every day. Well, I feel fine when I eat wheat. It doesn't matter what you feel. It's rather, as, what matters is, is there, is this gasoline on the fire causing more inflammation in your brain uh, or your joints or your kidneys or your heart or your lungs or your liver, wherever your genetic vulnerability is. So what's on the end of your fork is the most common. And you just need some guidance. So finding a functional medicine practitioner Going to my website, there are so many articles you can download for free on my website. Reading the books or listening to the audio on the book, you just start. Just get started. And then you, you, you allocate one hour a week, and the result will be in a few months, you've got this system down. You're, you're on the road to recovery. Well, that's good. That's actually what I was going to ask you. Is there any other recommendations for people that... Uh... You know, whether they're just not feeling too well or they're, you know, what do they do if they're in real trouble? If they're really not doing well and they're just, you know, I mean, they know that they're in serious trouble health-wise. Any different recommendations? Yeah. No, it's the same for everybody. You know, um, if you have a crisis right now, you do what your crisis care doctor says. But you don't stop there, you know, but you do that so that you've got a life jacket. You take the antidepressants if you need antidepressants. You take them. Don't worry, it's going to be temporary. But And then you allocate the time, one hour a week or more. You drink two glasses of water in the morning, every morning when you first wake up. And you look to see what foods are you sensitive to. And you may look to see what's the air like in my house or what's the air pollution problems in my city. You know, you'll, you'll just start learning the little things to do. See, the, the, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 40 years now, so I guess I qualify as an elder you know, uh, uh, and the younger generation, they want the quick fix. What do I do right now to feel better so that I, all these symptoms go away? It ain't going to happen like that. Something right now that covers up the symptoms, but you have to deal with the inflammation, the inflammatory cascade that's going on. You, you must, or else it's going to rear its ugly head somewhere else. So, and that takes time. And you have to realize the life you've lived till this point the lifestyle is what's carried you over the waterfall into the pond of whatever the symptoms are. So you've got to modify the lifestyle. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. It depends on the individual. And so you have to just learn the checklist. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? And it's a slow process that you will eventually identify and feel really great. Once you identify one or two of these things, you just feel really great. So that's the mechanism, my friend. Okay. How many, how many like tough cases have you seen over the years? Is there a lot? Or if they do the right thing, there's very few to none? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, my favorite cases, and I've said this so often, my favorite cases are the ones that say, I've been to Mayo Clinic, and they don't know what's wrong. And I said, that's great. Oh, that's great. And they look at me like I'm a nutcase. You know, that means you don't have a disease because if you had a disease, Mayo Clinic would find it. function. Let's see what's not functioning right. So the tests we're going to do are functional tests. I'm going to look, see, how's your immune system functioning? Is it fighting wheat? Is it fighting dairy? If it is, you're done with wheat for now. You're done with dairy. You're done with tomatoes, whatever it is that you, you just look to see. So the worse the case, Usually, the better the results, if they're willing. If they're willing to do the investigation, the worse they are, the quicker the results. Well, that's good. That's good news. So, all right, Dr. Tom, we're, yeah, we're just about out of time. It's been good talking to you, and you have a, a, definitely a radio voice. You should do some radio programs, in my opinion. Um, oh, it, thanks, Richard. Thanks. It, it sounds like the, your two books are probably the best place for people to start. So what are they again, and where can they get them? Yeah, um, both books are on the homepage of my website. My website is thedr.com, thedoctor.com. Just don't spell the word doctor out. They're also on Amazon. And But if you go to my page, you click on it, it takes you to Amazon. But it also then, you, you there's a bunch of downloads that you get for free about how to implement some of this stuff. Uh, so the books are there. They're called The Autoimmune Fix. And 
uh, you can fix your brain. The other thing that they can do at my website, you, you can click on, uh, we did a docu-series that you uh, uh, referenced in the introduction, Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution, they're not telling you. And now we've had over 700,000 people watch it. It's all, and it's world leaders that I interviewed talking about where do these health problems come from and what do I do about it? It's really great. And people, it's hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands of emails have said, thanks so much. I've learned so much. And it's all free. And it's on my website for free. It's called Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution They're Not Telling You. So the books, the Betrayal docuseries, and there's other programs on the site that you can see also. That's great. Well, Tom, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure speaking with you. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.